Hi, this is Megan McHugh, and this is the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website. G'day, welcome aboard the Starship Zero G, science fiction, fantasy and historical radio for episode number 1254, entitled A Dark Night on the Roof Tiles. Our podcast mm-hmm. title is The Janurai. I am Rob Jan. And Megan McHugh. And here we are. There's a lot of things going on in the genre, as usual. Yes. All day, every day, there's new things dropping, new things yeah. happening, yeah. announcements, events. <laughs> in fact, it's taken over pretty much everything. There is nothing else but science fiction and fantasy. It's true. I'm afraid so. <laughs> or does it just seem like that to me? I don't know. Okay, season four episodes of the supernatural fantasy comedy The Good Place will be dropping on Netflix here in Oz, one episode per week, which I actually prefer to binging, usually available on Fridays near the end of September. I hear they've got Chris Hemsworth in for a guest spot, which uh, is only fair since Larry Hemsworth, the fourth brother, mm-hmm. has played such a big role in the show. <laughs> Season four is set in a new experimental afterlife neighbourhood, which uh, previous test subject Eleanor will be the chief chief architect of. It's rumoured there will be a new version of the Janet AI. Bing! And confirmed that there will be 14 episodes instead of the usual 13, with the finale being an hour-long episode. And that is, of course, the final season of The Good Place. 50 episodes, they're actually pretty comfortable with that. Yeah. There is an art to knowing when to wrap things up as well, and I think they've hit that on the head from Mm. what I can tell. Now, also, while original Iron Man director Jon Favreau dances with Disney, like that, dances with Disney, (laughs) on uh, big movie musicals like The Jungle Book, which was an adaptation of um, the Rudyard Kipling story, but also an adaptation of the movie, uh, uh, all sorts of things. Uh, and The Lion King. He's also found time to develop the hot new Star Wars bounty hunter spin-off series, The Mandalorian, mm-hmm. which looks so awesome. Be much anticipated. Yeah. I don't know how all the rest of Star Wars universe, but that looks like <laughs> fun. Uh, Favreau voiced the character of uh, Pre Vizsla, the leader of the Mandalorian Death Watch for the animated series Star Wars, The Clone Wars. And um, his movie about food trucks, Chef, has also spawned a series, The Chef Show. Mm-hmm where he cooks in company with his food truck mate Roy Choi from the 2014 movie, and uh, that's Chef, and often feeds his movie celebrity friends as well. Mm. And? Yes, so I did just want to mention that the, I think it's technically season one, volume two mm-hmm. of the Chef show has just dropped on Netflix, which I was pleasantly surprised by because it's such a delightful little series. They're about half an hour per episode, and it's really just, I think John Favreau is very charismatic. He's obviously spending time with people he has a lot of fun with, they're cooking, there's good food, it's got a great art design, there's little animations and things. So we both enjoyed season one, volume one. They had, they had lunch with um, Rob Downey Jr. and, exactly. uh, they and Tom had, Holland. There was a bit of Marvel crossover and in yeah. this one I think um, 
some of the episodes focus on Gorilla Tacos, Skywalker Ranch, and Seth Rogen does have an episode as well. So there's oh. another six episodes of that. So that's out on Netflix now. So if you liked the first chunk of Chef Show, mm. highly recommend. Um, haven't looked at any yet, but I'm very excited to check out. John Favreau was a Dungeons and Dragons player in school. Does not surprise. <laughs> he, he credits it and improv improv comedy with helping him understanding the arts of world building. Uh, imaginative creativity and thinking on his feet. I think that is a brilliant point. And that is a great segue into another tidbit that I wanted to bring up. Yes. Um, there is the Stranger Things 3 game has been released. Oh. So this is focused around season three of Stranger Things. And it's a little sort of top-down, old-school style um game in sort of a retro vibe and from what I can tell you really play through the events of season three so I would say maybe don't embark on this if you haven't Uh yet watched season three I think that's kind of an important note it is available on the Nintendo Switch Xbox One PlayStation 4 Mac and PC that came out in July but I actually hadn't really heard anything about it Mm -hmm. so um, I was poking around in the Switch store and I saw that there so I thought I'm definitely going to give that a try um and I think it looks like a pretty fun playthrough. I don't know, in terms of TV show tie-in games, from what I've seen in previews and reviews, it doesn't look like it's doing much more on top of what Season 3 did or like it's sort of just building little bits on top. Um, I don't think it's kind of forging any new particular ground, but I think as a fan of the series it would be pretty fun to it get should... to play through as the characters. And you can play um, co-op as well. It should be a, a top-down scroller. Well, it's sort of it's one of those kind of ones where um, you you sort of walk through different environments as little characters, and you can kind of um, unlock different things and do different actions and whatnot. And you usually do it with one other character because you know how it's all in the season; it's broken up into different little parties. So it's it's quite similar to that for the game. So I'll report back on that once I've had a little bit of a play as well. So. Now, we, we talked about uh, Dark Crystal, the Age of Resistance last week. Uh, was it the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance? And it, I've since watched the entire series and want to have a chat with you about that again after this track, which we've been trying to play for the last <laughs> couple of weeks and just never got there. And uh, This is our, our, our David Bowie track and it's from Labyrinth, which of course is uh, the other great uh, Jim Henson creature shop Um fantasy movie of the 80s um, dark, the dark crystal and the labyrinth beloved of creatives everywhere these these movies uh, and so we're going to have um, david bowie and magic dance in the marmalade forest, forest. between the make-believe tree g'day i'm brent mckenzie i played an in elf in lord of the rings my dad played ellen doll the king you're listening to zero g on three triple r and i have one thing to say my name is figwit the elf you killed my father. Prepare to die. Mr. Bowie there with Dance Magic from the film. Finally. <laughs> We've been playing tidbits of that for the past couple of shows. <laughs> yeah, and the uh, the baby that he's flinging around in that um, famous segment is uh, a guy called Toby Froud, who's now grown up, son of um, Brian and Wendy Froud, of course, the Henson Creature Shop major major talents designers mm-hmm. that sort of thing and now he actually works with the obviously he works with the Henson's puppet designing and you know of course he would that's so why cool why would you not go into the family business exactly when it's that when the family business <laughs> is that cool yeah uh, and um, 
Yeah, speaking of Bowie, we're, we're uh, operating on the new Bowie system. Yes, yes, here at the studio. Yes. It's quite exciting. Lots to learn. Megan's making a good fist of that so far. <laughs> uh, Still early days, Rob. <laughs> yeah, well, the background is it's basically a, a new operating system that allows us to program tracks and uh, ID. No, do we, we really call them carts anymore? Well, I guess um, yeah. our little uh, zero-G promo yeah. nuggets. Well, we call them – we still call video games video games. Yeah, true. That's yeah, true. So, you know. Uh, and, um, yeah, so it's – the high technology, the new frontier of um, <laughs> Zero-G and everybody else too. Now, uh, something else I've also found on streaming, uh, which is um, coming up next or very soon, I'm going to talk about a Batman movie. Yes, yeah. DC. DC. Wow, uh, Rob. What's, <laughs> are you feeling okay? <laughs> um, um, uh, in, in the meantime, uh, under the uh, She'll Be Right, Mate, category um, <laughs> i've been watching uh season four of preacher ah nice the final season of the one show. shot here in melbourne yes um and they've actually they've been uh in this religious fantasy horror series they've been tootling around in israel which melbourne sta- which uh, mm-hmm. australia stands in for as well <laughs> and all sorts of other places that that are basically because they filmed in the Dockland studios, they're all standing in for these other countries and places. Actually, um, the Middle East and that—that's actually a fair a fair call. It does work quite well. Uh, there are actually gum trees in Israel, so you know, <laughs> I think we put them there. But nevertheless, uh, you know, one of those exchange sort of thingies. Uh, Bob Hawke's name springs to mind there for some reason. Anyway, um, uh, before you can say drop bear, we're actually in. Australia proper, Ooh. so they, they, they're here, uh, and and Tulip and Cassidy the Vampire, um, this duo known to the Aussie plods as the Americans, <laughs> uh, roar into Melbourne in their muscle car, and it makes perfect sense in the demented space time of Tr- Preacher. They're offloaded from a ship at the Docklands. Uh, they're blasting past the Marvel Stadium. They're blowing by Luna Park and drifting through a hard left turn under the clocks. To boom up Flinders Street, so you know they've to get into Flinders Street. They've gone via the way of um, Luna Park. <laughs> Classic movie conundrum. Yes, I have no doubt they decided to go and get a strudel in Ackland Street. You know, mm-hmm. it's just the way it must have worked. So that all of the pieces on the board now are being controlled by God Himself, and He's actually got a little table with little figures and stuff. So like D and D table. Yes, or Ray Harryhausen, like Clash of oh, the Titans, yes. so moving all the little pieces around. And he's even got like like little RV model that they can get into and planes <laughs> and stuff. And it's all coming down to this final apocalyptic season with, uh, with uh, Tulip and Cassidy uh, hooking up with um, Jesse Custer, again, the preacher of the title, mm-hmm. uh, being pursued by the, the, um, the killer of saints, the big Western guy with the, the two guns that can shoot the six guns that can shoot through planets wow <laughs> yeah but they will only shoot for him so you can't bogan his guns and you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and of course they're fighting against the um, the grail project um which is the um what's not the, uh, the grail what have they anyway the grail is a, a bunch of guys who are basically running around um, worshipping God and Christ and the whole thing, but they've got their whole own agenda. Mm-hmm, so like mm-hmm. these um, 
these pseudo-fascists wearing white uniforms. Right. They've got this headquarters in Masada in Israel. And they're trying to arrange the apocalypse. So there's a little bit of um, that whole uh, um, um, Good Omens, uh, Neil Gaiman, Terry Pratchett thing yes, going on here. Yes, right, right, right. So they've got in Masada in their conference room, they've got um, Hirsch Starr, who is the, uh, the villain of the piece. He's now in charge of the grail. And um, uh, they've got uh, Jesus. Mm-hmm. And Adolf Hitler, who's been allowed out. Well, he's escaped from hell at the moment, and they're having a little conference about um, who, how the apocalypse is going to run. They can't really, they can't really um, come to an agreement. Surprise, surprise. Well, yeah, yeah. So to be expected. And, and it's it's all happening in Australia in um, uh, the uh, the last the lost apostle desert, wherever the hell that's supposed to be. Uh, and, and there's atomic bombs and it's just mm. this whole pre-apocalyptic thing. And it's <laughs> it's a lot of fun. It's violent and awful and sick. And I'm, But it's been like that for several seasons. So, yeah. And if I had kids, I'd forbid them to watch it. But this is just me, so, you know, I cover the cat's eyes so you can't <laughs> see this awful stuff. Preacher, season four. But that's actually on uh, Stan, not Netflix. Yes. Hmm. Uh, and you have some more, uh, some horrific news too. Yes. So in terms of uh, horrible violence and whatnot, I thought I'd just drop a note. Um, the Melbourne Symphony Orchestra is actually doing Evil Dead in concert. So the original Evil Dead, which is one of my favourite horror films. Oh, really? Yeah. So it's uh, an, a Halloween event. So it'll be on Thursday, the 31st of October at 8pm. Mm-hmm. It is at the Palais Theatre uh, down south near Luna Park. So... Basically, um, it's one of the kind of where they'll play the movie and then there's a live orchestra that will play the score along with it. And um, there's also going to be a special guest appearance by the original composer, Joe De- Lo- wait, Joe Loduca. Oh, stuff that up. He is, he is <laughs> the man. He is um, Sam Raimi's uh, mm, go-to. Uh, muse, musical exactly. muse. So if you're a fan of the uh, cult classic, which I certainly am, I just do not think any of the remakes or whatnot. It's the original Cabin in the Woods. So if you're not familiar with the story, <laughs> it's uh, students go to a cabin, um, idiotically start messing around with things out of their control they should not be messing with and chaos and... Uh, bloody gore ensues so but pair that with a beautiful orchestra i actually think it would be pretty fun so tickets for that are available online if that is something of interest playing on halloween evening bloody gore that sounds like my idea of a gilbert and sullivan opera (laughs) (laughs) and bruce campbell of course exactly so it's the iconic original teen slasher isolated you know so yeah, if you haven't seen it and you're a fan of things like the Cabin in the Woods film, mm. you should definitely have a look at the sort of OG uh, film, which and, is Evil Dead. And this is pre-Boomstick and um, and uh, Chainsaw, so you don't have to reference any of those. Yes, it might be very different to what you'd be expecting based on kind of the lore that has emerged from that franchise. Yes. But, um, yeah, so I thought I'd drop that and mention given it's sort of horror season, so mm. lots of exciting stuff All right, so I'd like to play another track here from um, the Dark Crystal soundtrack album. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I've got to be specific here. The Dark Crystal Age of Resistance Volume Mm 1 soundtrack album. There's two volumes. And they've also got a a soundtrack album for the making of uh, Dark Crystal Age of Resistance. (laughs) Of course they do. So they've got three (laughs) soundtracks. This is by Daniel Pemberton. Now, Daniel Pemberton... 
uh, is uh, an interesting chap in terms of um, soundtracks. He's done ones that we all know and love, like The Man from UNCLE, ah. uh, which was a really good um, retro 60s soundtrack. Yeah, I enjoyed that. It was fun. He did the, uh, the soundtrack for King Arthur, Legend of the Sword, Guy Ritchie's enjoyed awful Enjoyed that movie. less, but sure, yep. <laughs> uh, Ocean's 8. Oh, yeah. And most importantly, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Oh, that was a great – Oh, yeah, that was brilliant. That mm. was a really good pastiche of different music styles. Too. Yes, it was. And also uh, and at the USS Callister, the Star Trek um, uh, send-up episode of Black Mirror. Oh, yeah, that's so. one of my – I actually think that's probably my favourite Black Mirror episode. Hmm. So. so, yeah, this guy knows his stuff, Daniel Pemberton. We've – uh, a track from the, uh, the the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance, probably the uh, the title track, I believe. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up rrr.org.au to find out how. Daniel Pemberton there with the main title theme from The Dark Crystal Age of Resistance, which has dropped all 10 episodes on Netflix. I don't know, it's, it's streaming shows, channels, we just sometimes you just got to do them in a, a burst because they're, they're <laughs> overwhelming us. There is. There's a lot of content out there. And, yeah. and to be honest, a lot of the time these tailor-made streaming service shows are made to binge. Yeah. Like, yeah, the way they're laid out and they're kind of um, – Structure is designed for you to watch several episodes in a row. Yeah, I'm glad you said several because I can't watch, <laughs> I cannot binge watch an entire series. I don't care how no. good it is. No. I, in fact, the, the better it is, um, the less likely I am to binge it. Mm. I want to, I just want to savor them. Yeah, I agree. But I think it's very, it's less like each episode has its own sort of climax structure. Now I find a lot of these things that chunk of episodes towards the end like they're all action it's it's you know you sort of they've designed it so mm. they want you to keep wanting to watch more mm. so I very think, clever they've hooked us in yeah <laughs> the whole <laughs> format so okay we're watching um uh dark crystal age of resistance which is this, a prequel to the 1982 uh jim henson creature shop yep, uh, yep, movie yep. of the same name set on an alien fantasy world called Thra, <laughs> um, which has been um, – the main civilization there is the Gelfling mm-hmm. people who are divided into, I think, seven different clans, um, all of them with their own particular characteristics. It's a fantasy world. Everybody's a little bit different. You know, there's fisher folk. There's people who live in fissures underground. Mm-hmm. Um, there's another group of uh, people who've got more of an aerial-based society because the the, uh, the female Gelflings have wings. Ah. <laughs> the blokes don't. Um, <laughs> and actually, just speaking to the, the point of uh, the female Gelflings, this is a very – because it's a matriarchal society amongst the Gelflings. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very strong series for women's roles. Okay, that's uh, great. Women – Puppets. <laughs> the yeah. role of female puppets. <laughs> yes. Okay. And um, all right, they've been the, – the, the dark crystal of the title is basically the MacGuffin of the story. It's a crystal of truth, but it's since gone to darkness and it's linked into the land. It's a very mm-hmm. strong fantasy trope. Yeah. The land and the crystal are one and the people are as well, so it's very Arthurian in a way. Mm. And um, essentially the Skeksis and the Mystics – were another race that were one but were split asunder 
when the when they landed upon this world. Mm. So they're actually aliens. So it's a science fiction story. I'm assuming they're you know it's definitely science fiction because once they're split into two, the mystics uh, pursue a more natural sort of path, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but the skeksis uh, use their arcane techno science, right. techno majory, interesting to uh, drain the crystal of power mm. and they have to refuel it so they end up um, parasitizing off the actual gelflings who hmm. they have convinced um, to serve them as as the gods of the crystal um, the gelflings don't it, it, in a way this is a, a very colonial sort of story um, to do with uh, like the conquistadors in um, in Mesoamerica. Mm. So they at first were taken for gods. Yep. And especially when they were riding on their horses, it was a whole sort of... Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the vibe you're giving off. Yeah. <laughs> so this is what the situation in this story before the Dark Crystal movie. So we're getting all of this detailed backstory that we never got in the movie. That's great. It was implied. Uh, and... I still haven't yet rewatched the movie, but now that I've finished the series, I'm ready to go and, and see how it plugs into that. And you did mention that for those who haven't seen the movie, such as myself, mm-hmm. you can jump into this because it is a prequel as well. So you don't need that pre-existing knowledge. Totally. Although I assume it makes it a bit richer if you're a fan of the original. Well, there'll be a sense of impending doom hanging over <laughs> your head. Um, yeah, it does, but actually, but the. Because it's a very splainy sort of thing, mm. it's it sets itself up for that anyway. Yeah. Well, I, I can't say that um, it wasn't a great experience back in 82 to see it, The Dark Crystal, in the cinema and say, well, you don't need to have had experienced that because obviously we were the best people sort of back <laughs> then. <laughs> so, uh, but, you know, this, this is a, a project that's – been they've been trying to get it up and running in some form or another mm. um they were going to do an animated movie and they tried to do it with in, in modern terms with puppet skexies and cgi gelflings mm. they did some tests and that's in the making of dark crystal age of resistance uh and it doesn't work yeah i can see why the the, the interface it just doesn't work. It doesn't feel connected. Yeah. Now, this is not a CGI bashing session I'm running here. No. Um, because... There's an art to good CGI for sure. And they have done a CGI pass over the characters. Mm, that's right. You mentioned, yeah. So they have um, pushed it up a little bit, smoothed yeah. things off. It's not all puppetry that's happening. No, no. And, and they've used CGI to eliminate the puppeteers, poor people. But, you know, they're, they're wearing um, blue screen suits and they can take so them it's out. it's really a good mixture of yeah. kind of, you know, on screen or in screen, in production kind of effects yes. and a little layer over the top to just smooth the rough edges. That, that said, there is a huge amount of real practical effects in yeah. this. I love, uh, yeah, I love clever practical effects. I think it's a real art. From the puppets on up, you know, to the landscapes, to the That's sets. Great. Uh, it's just this – and the Hensons were always ones to um, cherry-pick from new technology and bring yeah. it in for their puppetry, and they've done that again. And this series advances the art of puppetry. Yeah. You can see it. I, I'm watching, seeing stuff in here and thinking, this is um, this is puppetry raised to feature-length movie status mm. and, and quality in lots of different ways that I've not seen before. It is lovely that it's still – and I think, you know, the Hensons have a big part in this – Puppetry is still very present in this day and age and still lives on as kind of an art form, especially in cinema. Because mm. you could see how 
maybe the focus could shift away and then it would become a bit more obsolete. Obviously, it has is used less and less. Mm. Maybe instances where it would have been used in the past, they now use CGI. But this is the kind of puppetry that I think you want to live on and have, you know, films built around. Yes. And it's meta as well. They do – they have the puppets doing some puppetry. <laughs> <laughs> How meta is that? That's very 2019. <laughs> uh, and – uh, we've we've mentioned before the story is very now. Yeah. These Skeksis are basically evil manipulators of the populace in general. Mm-hmm. Some of the Gelflings have actually come to worship them very tightly in terms of their they. It's the centre of their entire belief system that the Skeksis are the gods of the crystals, and they won't they won't brook any interference with that. Yeah, and it is so Trumpian. Basically, gosh, you, you can know. you can draw so many things back to the effect of you know. At the same time, while that that is quite obvious and actually entirely relevant, they also pull in a few uh, other social commentaries without even making a big deal about it. Mm. One of the Gelfling characters is quite upset at the fate of her fathers. Okay, plural, oh. Oh. and then that's just it. Yeah, that's it. There's no. I like that. Yeah, there's no big deal made about that. Yeah, it's not a big arrow pointing to this is our sort of commentary on. Yeah, yeah, I think that's. Of course, we're doing that now, but we're doing that to comment upon that. Exactly, to comment (laughs) the lack of fanfare, which eventually you want things that are progressive now to just be the norm. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I mentioned that the the, the roles for women in this are magnificently portrayed. They're, They're. there's so many of them in there that um, there's there's binders of women. <laughs> <laughs> and some great voice talent too. I think oh. last episode you ran through it. Like it is yeah. a jam, star-studded, jam-packed cast here. Yeah, including um, Mark Hamill and, uh, and Jason Isaacs. Jason Isaacs is, is funny because he was um, trying to be the emperor in Star Trek Discovery of the Mirror Universe. Mm-hmm. He actually gets to voice the emperor in this, the Skeksis emperor. I think there's definitely some people over there at Netflix that are really having fun with this as well. Um, Along the lines of the, of the, of the story as well, uh, there's a a thing that they, they put in the making of dark crystal, a note from somebody and it struck a chord with me. I I read it and it said, this is not a show about winning wars. It is an apology for the moral high ground. (laughs) That is so deep when you unpack that. Yeah. Uh, And I also found that, um, that uh, oh yes as well the director did all ten episodes oh wow which is insane that's a feat because they usually spread that out if across a few notable directors yeah yeah uh, and he's the guy he was the guy who did um, uh, the Hulk the Ed Norton Hulk it's uh, Louise I mean, Leteria it's not a gem on his CV but sure I mean it must be a feat maybe it's all the better for it like in terms of feeling like cohesive vision as well yeah he certainly knows how to do a, a fantasy that's great and the procedure and everything he's got that all right um, I, I just think you know I've seen a few things this year a few movies and television shows as, as <laughs> have we both <laughs> And yeah. there have been some good ones and then mm. not so good ones and some great ones yeah. and some excellent ones and some magnificent ones. And we know, you know, we all, all know Avengers Endgame was one of the magnificent ones. I think too because it was a, a milestone for a lot of people as well. Yeah. So, but, so this is for this you. This is magnificent. That's great. I, I was watching this and thinking, oh, my God, this is so beautifully done. I do think 
there's something nice too? Like we do consume a lot of content mm-hmm. and I mean, we love doing it. Like what a lot of what we cover on the show, we'd be watching and engaging with anyway. Mm. But to truly be delighted by something. Oh, absolutely. And to be surprised. I think it's still so nice that we have those experiences. Yeah. yeah. And it's quite, spe- well, I might have, I'll just have to check it out. Then. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Cause you've been quite taken with this. Oh, it just, it just. Even from the get go. Yeah. Even from the, um, oh, just. Everything. More of <laughs> this. And this is More the thing. This, yeah. Like, you know, there's a lot of stuff being churned out, but if we can capture some of the stuff that's really working. The the sheer invention, the inventiveness of this, of this, uh, the creative ideas that have gone into it, um, <laughs> there's, a, there's a couple of points in it where they play with the tropes of fantasy. Um, there's a, a quest that uh, would normally be a really important big deal. It would be the... The central mm. central structure of the whole series, without giving away too much about it, they resolve it in a way that is entirely mundane and Monty <laughs> Pythonish. So you know they, they, they've got the sense of humour still in play in this, uh, which I, I find is essential for this as well. Absolutely, that yeah. sense of whimsy as well as having something deeper to say is is quite the combo. Mm, I believe so. Well, that's it, uh, The Dark Crystal Age of Resistance. It's out now on, on Netflix, uh, all 10 episodes plus a making of, which I think is a, a great thing to watch too. I love a good featurette. <laughs> more featurettes. Yeah. I loathe the death of the director's commentary. I want more director's commentary. Maybe they'll be able to do that with interaction, interactivity as well. I mean, that's the thing. I think there's a lot of missed opportunities for, you're right, integration, interactivity, like Bandersnatch type of... You know, choose your own adventure. Mm. All right. Now, I will play a track here called Zenpo. <laughs> and again, this is from Daniel Pemberton's soundtrack album. And they've created uh, specific languages for everybody. And you know how they've done the deep dive and the whole world building thing for this, building on the original movie as well. And the music is also like that too. So, you know, here we go with Zenpo. I can't even make a stab at pronouncing that. This is Neil Gaiman. It's well past 2000 AD, but Tharg still listens to Zero G. Yeah, Daniel Pemberton there with Zenpo. Quite a jaunty little (laughs) ditty, wasn't it? it was. From the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance. Oh, is that one of your top picks from the year so far? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, we could, it's easy, like Avengers Endgame um, and also uh, Us as a horror movie pick. Uh, You know, there's just, the things that just sing. I don't know if there's much. There was one good year, I think, a couple of years ago where I had a load of favourites. This year, I mean, Parasite for me, definitely. Oh, yes, that was this year too. Absolutely. But I'm really struggling to think of one. Of what really rises to the top of mind first up. You'd have to go back for it all. And that's the thing, I guess, as well. But if we're counting TV, then that's a whole other kettle well, of fish, you know, isn't rising it? to the top, everything floats down here. Oh, stop. <laughs> <laughs> I still am imagining Pennywise biting off my head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or just a part of my face or my uh, armpit or whatever. Yes, uh, yes. Literally the Armageddon. Exactly. Pennywise the clown. All right, now... Uh, something else I found on Netty. Yes, tell us. Oh, now actually, here's another. This is another gem, really. When I think about it, um, it's animated movie. Mm. Right now, animation is a a fine art in itself, beyond puppetry. Yes, absolutely. Mm. And in this case, well, 
Whatever I may think of the misguided attempts to force DC live-action superhero movies into the successful but niche template of Christopher Nolan's otherwise blameless Batman trilogy, I have no hesitation in recommending DC's animated movies, which can be sublime even when you just read the synopsis or in some cases the title alone. Yeah. So let me just hit you with this one. Batman Ninja. (laughs) <laughs> or, as they say in the Japanese language version of this movie, Batman Ninja. Great. <laughs> that was pretty good. A bit of a recap. Now, Warner's, Warner Brothers Animation has done some great things. Uh, the Iron Giant. Yeah, going brilliant. Going way back. The Lego movie. Mm-hmm. The Lego Batman movie, which was one of the great Batman movies. It if was. Seen it, it was. Uh, and that was, what was a that, 2017? Um, and they started doing uh, adaptations of um, full-on ap- adaptations of uh, DC characters: uh, Batman, Mask of the Phantasm in 1993, mm-hmm. an excellent Wonder Woman in 2009, mm-hmm. and uh, some of the Justice League animated movies. Yes, yes. They've been churning out a lot of animated stuff, mm. and and most of them are pretty damn good and very watchable. Yeah, uh, Batman Ninja is a 2018 Japanese animated superhero film. directed by Junpai Mizusaki, uh, who's the animation director on some of the Mega Man video games. Oh, cool. Uh, Did the poem of Collected Sunlight segment on a movie called Zoo in 2005, which was an anthology of stories adapted adapted, adapted from the works (laughs) of Otsuchi. And uh, this is uh, the new, one of the new, the two new Batman animated movies from last year. Yep. Uh, So the other one, well, I'll tell you about that after this. Uh, So this features the character of Batman and Takashi Okazaki, who created Afro Samurai, is a character designer for this. Cool. So the artwork is very much like Afro Samurai. So a lot of elongated figures, a lot of solid figures, a lot Mm -hmm. of um, of quite beautiful shading on the animated figures. It gives you a three-dimensional effect even though it's not 3D. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Uh, And it's all all crazy stuff because the Joker's involved. Now, this is available on Netflix and also on uh, Blu-ray DVD. Mm -hmm. And the Blu-ray DVD, you'll like this, has featurettes. Woohoo! So all of that goodness. (laughs) Brilliant. Uh, Now... Because this is uh, this was done as a Japanese um, anime, mm-hmm. uh, the English language version is actually considerably different in this. So you can actually watch it with on the DVD version at least, either with the English. Did uh, you watch it with the original Japanese or? Yes, because yeah. that's hey, because that's usually the way I roll with these. Yep, same. Uh, I just like hearing the original voices. The, some exceptions can be made with um, the later. Uh, Studio Ghibli movies where they've got Agree. these killer voice casts. But I, yeah, I, I tend to do original voice for mm. most things. Um, but but in this case, the dialogue is actually way different. Interesting. Yeah, so like ninety percent different. Really? Yeah, that's uh, weird. It's not an accident. Um, yeah, okay. It's just the way it worked out with the uh, production process. Okay. Um, and I haven't, and I will watch it on the DVD. Weird. Actually, I don't know if you can do it on Netflix. Like, um, you can use subtitles and stuff, so maybe it's possible to. I think sometimes you can change language because yeah. I know some of the foreign titles they bring over, they automatically do the English dub, but you can find the original 
original language. So maybe this, you can flip it and they do have the English in there. Who knows? Experiments must be made. Mm. But I watched the Japanese one just to hear them say, Batuman, because <laughs> that was great. Uh, now, this is set in the past, okay. period piece. Yep. How do they get to the past? Well, they uh, Batman is uh, trying to stop Gorilla Grodd. <laughs> Um, from it. using a, a time machine to do all sorts of nefarious things. It explodes during the course of that and Batman is flung backwards in time. Uh-uh. Now, it checks out it checks or out. does it? Now, not This actually happens a lot in uh, DC animated movies and in um, the television series too, the animated shows, uh, particularly one that's being played at various times on, um, I think it's ABC Kids, uh, Batman the Brave and the Bold. They mm-hmm. do a lot of time mm-hmm. travelling in that. So bring all their, their characters in play. Now, I said Batman and others. So there's all of the villains from Gotham and some of the heroes too being taken back in time to feudal Japan. And there the, uh, the, the villains of Gotham establish themselves as Daimo, as lords of uh, various castles. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they're trying to take over the whole country. Of course, Joker is the one who is uh, in trying to be the head honcho typical the clown prince there and (laughs) harley quinn is his uh chief retainer of course uh catwoman is there and the way they depict catwoman is just brilliant they stay in trope for as interpreted in anime and of course she has the little ears that's you know catwoman's thing but she also has a collar with a big bell on it oh like all of the japanese cat people have <laughs> and she uses a hand cat puppet of course <laughs> so that's okay um some of batman's technologies come through including the batmobile mm-hmm. uh, alfred's there too by the way and there's been a time difference so all of this is established before batman comes through he just lands in the middle of this terrible this big yeah um there's a trope that I will not reveal here okay. that they, they use. It is a, a trope that is beloved of Japanese animation, science fiction animation. Oh, I'm and intrigued. it is beautifully deployed here. And I it hope just, it's a kaiju. It's a, a, course, a, a source of constant hilarity. And I will not respond to that either. Okay. I will not. Con- we'll let that pass. I will not affirm, confirm or deny that. Love it. Uh, That's for the best, I think. Yes. It is a bit steampunky because the Joker and the others are trying to use this this technology that they brought with them. I'm liking everything I'm hearing about this. Yeah, just the concepts, high concept or high concept. Uh, Bit steampunked. uh, There's a side wheel riverboat, paddle steamer sort of thing, which has been suitably Jokerized, which means (laughs) it's way over the top. But what I loved about this, the the detail on that, is someone has gone in and drawn little life preservers Another safety gear for the ship. <laughs> like the Joker would care. Yeah, I love that though. That's so good. Um, there are so many beautiful pieces in there in this movie. At one stage, uh, Harley Quinn uses um, a scroll mm-hmm. that uh, two retainers are rolling. And okay. she, she is holding up a, a, a little bat symbol on a stick to give you a uh, like a moving map of where Batman is. <laughs> love it. Yeah, cool. Uh, this is just such a lovely production. And that's on Netflix? It is Batman Ninja. Um, and it is also available on um, Blu-ray DVD as well. 
Speaking of DC, yes. I did have another little tidbit. Did you see that the the Suicide Squad cast has been released yes. by James Gunn? So I thought I'd just throw that a mention as a nice segue after that. Mm-hmm. So the new The Suicide Squad film is a DC and Warner Brothers, and they've released a little um, information about who is cast. Now, some of these are obviously going to probably be playing the characters they played in Suicide Squad, but there is a mass of people that we do not know who or what they will be playing. Um, I'll just mention a couple. Taika Waititi is going to be in it. Very exciting. Castle. Castle. Nathan Fillion. Nathan Fillion, our favourite Firefly captain, is also going to be in it. One of the great doctors, Peter Capaldi, will also be present. I didn't know that. Oh, wow. Idris Elba, Viola Davis, Jennifer Holland. um, And then, of course, we've got Margot Robbie, Jai Courtney returning. And it's quite an interesting and diverse cast. I'm pretty interested as to how this is all going to come out. It will be... um, James Gunn directed, and so we'll see how that goes. I think they're trying to get a little bit of the spice from Marvel and try and wave that over DC and see what they what they can cook up. So I think Melbourne Melbourne's own Tom Taylor uh, comic maestro is actually rebooting the Suicide Squad comic book too. Oh, great! So I'm sure there'll be tie-ins and whatnot yeah, and all kinds yeah, of things to kind yeah. of really push that On, speaking, property. Speaking of tie, that's exciting news because Suicide Squad. I like the first like half hour or so, and then it, it just it, went off. It has potential as mm. a concept, and I think I am interested. So we'll see how we go there. I was going to mention a couple of the other Batman animated movies. Uh, last year's the other one was uh, Batman Gotham by Gaslight, which was a steampunk Ooh. Victorian one. I love that. Uh, and there's <laughs> there's one out now called um, Batman versus Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I just brilliant. I, I feel I feel that in my waters. The thrill of that concept. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! In your sewer waters. Yeah, my sewer water. Well done. You beat me to that. Awesome. <laughs> okay, so we're going to go out with uh, a track today from um, the again from the Dark Crystal soundtrack album, mm-hmm. and it's uh, the Hunter and the Storm, and. Um, the Hunter character in Dark Crystal is awesome, uh, and I think they've actually done an action figure for that too. So, uh, you know, NECA, NECA, they're doing some of those. And cool. also Weta Workshop has done oh, some big sculptures. Brilliant. Including the Emperor. And this means that, um, you know, actually I think that's illegal. You can't have Weta and Jim Henson's Creature Shop working together on a project. It's just too much it's, creativity. Yeah, exactly. It's too, too <laughs> incredible. Yes. And that's it. We'll go out with that today. Daniel Pemberton. The Hunter and the Storm. Joe Brunatic coming up next with Astral Glamour. Thank you, Megan. Thank you, Rob. And thank you, Bowie, the new operating system. It's done quite well. Mm. G'day, this is Rob Jan. Thanks for listening to the podcast at Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website.